Welcome to Lace and Debauchery. We are part of the Frolic Podcast Network, a podcast community of everything romance and romance related. Find new shows to add to your podcast subscriptions at frolic.media slash podcasts. Hey listeners, it's Taylor. Before we kick off, we want you to know that the opinions and discussions that take place on Lace and Debauchery do not reflect the opinions of The Rip Bodice in any way. Lace and Debauchery as a podcast is an affiliate of The Rip Bodice, which means we can earn a commission on the books we sell during our time as podcast hosts. You can find our affiliate link to buy romance books in every episode description, as well as on our website at laceadpodcast.com slash buy. Thanks for your time. And now for some debauchery. So we're so excited to talk to you today about Hazel Fine Sings Along. It's coming out in, what is it, May? May 6th. How do you feel? Are you so excited? Nervous? Yeah, excited. Excited, for sure. Good. It's, yeah. it's always a weird process because you finish a book so long before it comes out, and I'm editing next year's book already. Right. You know? Oh, so wow. Yeah. In a weird way, you've already kind of moved past the book by the time uh-huh. it into the world so this is your debut that's so exciting how how do you feel how what was it like writing this and you wrote this for Wattpad initially no I actually wrote it off of Wattpad and I as far as I know I'm still the only person they've acquired outside of Wattpad that's incredible Um, yeah 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 but then I got to get the Wattpad experience because I loaded the chapters in one at a time and and then there, I, I submitted for the Wadis, and I won Wadi. Um, thank you. So, yeah, so I, I sort of retroactively recreated the, the Wattpad experience, yeah. So how did, this, how did this idea originally start if you didn't start it on Wattpad? Was it just something that you literally just wrote on your own and then from there found success you know, in it? I, with I actually started writing this with a friend of mine who the book is dedicated to, who's another writer, and we have been talking about trying to write a, a rom-com together. And the, the setting of a singing competition had been one that I'd thought of for a long time. Mm-hmm. And so we kicked that idea around and for a while and for various reasons that I won't go into. We didn't end up writing it together, but I ended up running with the idea with her blessing, of course, mm-hmm. and, and, and writing it. But yeah, I mean, I, you know, I've been watching reality singing competitions since the very first American Idol. And I I just, it's always the audition part that I like, honestly. Like I kind of lose interest as the show goes on. I don't know yeah. what that is, but, and like even right now I'm watching the new season of The Voice and I love the auditions. I love the battle rounds. And then for some reason, when it gets into the rest of it, I'm like, eh, less interested. <laughs> but I always thought it would be a really good setting for a book. It's so fun. My um, my mom and her best friend Matthew have been obsessed with American Idol since the start, and like, just so many memories from growing up are watching the auditions in particular. They love the auditions with like the crazy, you know, the crazy acts and all of that. So yeah, I just well, there's less of that now. I mean, I know the first season of American Idol when people went into it and had no idea, and they just, you know, in the like Simon Cowell heydays, and they put on like complete lunatics. And I always felt like the more they talked about how amazing they were, the least good they were going to be in their audition. And it was the people who came in like, oh, I don't know, people say I can sing and then they'd be amazing, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, 
And and they kept that for, I don't know, the first five, six, seven years. But I feel now like they definitely have people who don't make it through, but they don't have the complete like wackadoodle people who yeah. are just off in another planet. And I mean, I get it, but I kind of miss it. Maybe that makes me a bad person, but. <laughs> no, I think it was also like super reminiscent of what like kind of the absurdity of the early aughts, like how, right. you know, it was these like it's a lot it's a lot more serious now and everything that they do like the voice takes itself more seriously than the beginning of like American Idol um so maybe that's that's also it yeah no that's a good point and I mean I you know the voice like I guess it's changed a bit the format but when when American Idol started it wasn't starting with like current recording artists you know there was no pair like Katy Perry on the first season right like they were more I mean, Paula Abdul, like, hadn't put a record out in a long time, and Simon Cowell's a music executive, and Randy Jackson, you know, was also, like, more of a session musician and stuff like that. So I think part of that, I'm sure, is when they've moved into having, like, current recording stars. If you look at who's on The Voice, these are all, you know, like, Niall Horgan's on bigger this names. year. You know, yeah. bigger names, right? Ariana and Grande. Yeah, and Ariana Grande. But anyway, people that they, you know, they're just not going to waste these guys' time, I guess. For yeah. sure. Um, and yeah. you have to pay them a lot more money too. <laughs> like, yeah. so you gotta, yeah, you gotta make sure that you, you come in with a, a lot of the talent. And that also, I mean, changes the whole game because now you're also talking about these, like, I mean, y- there's like different vehicles for people to kind of be famous before they even go on The Voice. So a lot of times, like people who have like TikTok careers or something like that can make themselves right. known that way when also yeah. like, the contestant pool was different. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Well, I mean, The Voice also doesn't have an age limit on it. Like, American Idol, even in that right. first season, I think you maybe even had to be under 25. And then oh. they they bumped it to 28 or something. But they have an upper ceiling. I, or maybe they got rid of it, finally, if I think about it now. But I, they always had a ceiling on how old you could be on that show. I had Partic- no idea. Yeah, yeah, particularly in the early seasons. And whereas The Voice would just let, like, anybody on and – I remember the first season of The Voice, I think it was the first season, right, where there was the guy, oh boy, I can't think of anybody's name today, but he had been a musketeer with... Like Brian Gosling and... No, yeah, with them, but it wasn't him, but I had seen that guy in concert, he'd opened for Sarah Bareilles, and uh, yeah, and he dated Carrie Russell for like 10 years, Um, and I was a big fan, but he really, he he hadn't had a big career, and then... Christine Aguilera was kind of pissed because Justin, he was friends with Justin Timberlake and he was like marshalling support for him on Twitter. And she was very against him being on the show, which also seemed unfair. Like, yeah, (laughs) it's, yeah, it's really interesting how now with social media, I mean, social media was around in the first, like, was there? No, 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 no. No. In the first season of American Idol, so now no, it's like not, no, so not even the, like I, oh, I was gonna go say not even for like the first ten seasons. I don't think. Yeah, then yeah. Course, I agree because I think it started when around two thousand or something. So yeah, 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 yeah. It's very different, of course, and 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 the development of TikTok and all that stuff too. Right, so. and you touch on that with um with Benji. Was yeah. that fun? Did you do like research into the TikTok <laughs> music the TikTok industry trends? Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I've watched some stuff uh I've watched a couple of seasons of the Damico's oh show. yeah 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 and I'm on TikTok a little bit so and I have nephews who are on TikTok all the time so who are always telling me these things where I'm like that is about 20% true did you hear that on TikTok? 
you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but so, yeah, I just, I try and like keep, I think when you're writing contemporary fiction, it's important to sort of keep in contact with what's going on, mm-hmm. you know, across generations. So that was one of my yeah. questions too. I, I was curious how you went about kind of researching the behind the scenes of, of the competition like, you know, thinking about, like, uh, I remember, like, one part sticking out to me was, like, the reshoots that they did and all the, you know, conversations right. with producers and conversations with music directors. How right. did you kind of research right. that? I mean, I don't know that I actually did specific research, to be honest, <laughs> but I think it's more just having watched, like, every documentary about touring and having watched, you know, like I said, just years and years of these shows and just paying attention to the details that a lot of people wouldn't notice, you know, that there are producers mm-hmm. in the rooms and, and like the song selection is limited to what they can get the rights to and, and, and things like that. And so just piecing that stuff together. And then I have some friends who have been in various parts of the industry. And so occasionally I'd ask a question of one of them, but I don't remember really doing like super specific research. I think I just was, when I would I hadn't actually watched American Idol in a long time. And I, I watched last season when I was mm-hmm. writing the show or the book, sorry. And I was like just paying attention to things that I wouldn't have paid attention to. And and I think with so many of these things, like it's important to get the details right, but you don't have to be overly specific because yeah. ultimately like it just needs to feel real. It doesn't actually have to be real, if that makes sense. Because exactly. You know, the, the actual reel is that, that 10 minutes of TV you see probably took them six hours to shoot. And so that's boring. <laughs> you know, yes. you don't want to see that. So, yeah. And I think, you know, I was, hope, I was trying to be more focused on, because for a romance novel, it is a little plot heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wanted to, to give equal attention to the relationships and, and not get the sort of format of the show to overcome the story and bog it down. And if people read yeah. on WAPNA, there was actually a whole other plot that was eliminated from oh, really? this version. So, yeah. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> I, I work in film and television. I'm an actor, and but I don't do any sort of, you know, reality. But I right. went to, just with a friend, we went to see um, Joel Kim Booster, the comedian. We saw him perform. And um, it was a taping for his Netflix special, which was so cool but like what I didn't realize was they did reshoots in the moment oops because they you know he was doing character work or not character work crowd work and then after he finished his set they went back to the bit where he did the crowd work and they like made sure to get good shots of the people that he was talking to so it all happened organically initially and then they had to go back and like kind of fabricate the moment again and I thought that that was really cool it was it was a cool insight into yeah well, when you wanted together. to, like, did they, if he had flubbed some a joke, would they have gone back? Oh, and, yeah. You know? I have no idea. It, I mean, by the time you get to your Netflix special, you've done that act, like, a gajillion times, a obviously. Times, but, yeah. yeah. And it goes back to what you said about it, like, having to just feel real instead of it being real, because the realness of it is, like, pretty mundane. And there's a lot of wasted time in between all of this. But I think you you perfectly toed the line where you like you know you incorporated these like really important vaccine uh behind the scenes shots but then at the same time you brought the the the, the competition and reality tv showness of it in when it needed to be there but without it being like 
you know, her sitting backstage, you know, you mentioned the reshoots a couple times here and there and like yeah. you know, things like that, but it's not like dominating the story, which I think yeah. is a good line that you towed. Um, it just, it showed that the, the feeling of hurry up and wait that happens so often in the industry yeah. where you're just like, I haven't done anything for 18 hours and now I'm being yelled at to get ready as quickly as possible. Right. I, I, and it, I think it allows for like the story to come through and for the relationships to come through, like you were saying, because there is all of that like free time to kind of get your characters in trouble. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that is such a, a weird thing about set life, right? It's, it is a lot of hurry up and wait. Um, yeah. 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 I was on set for a, a set for a day and, or actually I guess I've tw twice been to set and it, it is, it's like, Oh yeah. Okay, nothing happened today. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, they shot two minutes of film. I mean, I will also say, you know, because of that, like, that idea of, like, a lot of them, like, waiting around or, you know, a lot of the free time that they have. Because, I mean, you're on stage for such a small amount of time that it's not really about being on stage. It's about everything else. Right. Uh, you you had the time to craft these, like, this basically wonderful ensemble. And, like, you know, obviously, like, Hazel is the main character, but she also was a part of this bigger ensemble of people, all who have, like, I, I was so pleasantly surprised at how fleshed out every single person was and their motivations were understandable. Um, you subverted our expectation with like, you know, some people ended up being really nice and then some people ended up, you know, doing a shitty thing. Um, yeah, and then, yeah. you know, even with like people down to like Nick and Martin as well, people who were involved, you know, in a different capacity, showing that what they were like when it, you know, the cameras weren't on them either. It was a really fun thing to to see, and I was wondering, like, what when you were planning this out originally, and you had all these all these people and all these characters, was it a really big priority for you to like really think about who each one of these people were, or was it something that like very much just came to your mind and you wrote like as you felt it? I would say honestly, probably both. I mean, when I start, I I know what the end is, and I know the sort of twists and turns in a story, and so knowing that, I have to assign certain characteristics to certain people without giving anything away. And then, you know, one of the things I struggled with is like, obviously there are more contestants than we ever meet here. Right. And so it's like, okay, how many can I actually focus on? Like, I can't have 24 people in this book. Like that's too many, you know? So it was trying to figure out how many it was going to be. And, and so I really decided to sort of focus the lens on relationships that were in threes so there's Hazel and her friendship with Zoe and her, you know, enemies theme on the female side with Bella. And then there's Hazel and Benji and Nick. And then there's Hazel and Benji and Bella. And then there's Hazel and the judges. So I, you know, I, I was trying to make those kinds of relationships. And then it, it gave a little bit of space to have a few minor characters like Cole and Lacey, but but not to take up too much time with them so that you didn't. And I mean, you know, one of the things that I did in the editorial was I did have three judges to start with, like most of these shows do. Right. And ended up cutting that down to two because it was just like one too many people. <laughs> and so, yeah, there, there was a third judge. He's, he got eliminated. Uh, he got eliminated. But, <laughs> he got eliminated. He had to go home. But it's... Yeah, I, I mean, I, like I said, I think when I start writing, I always have, like, a very strong 
sense of who the main character is and who a couple of the other characters are, but the rest of them I discover in the in the writing process. And I think it's important that you know nobody is all good or all bad. Like we want to people. Well, maybe Martin is all bad, but we <laughs> want to um, you know we want to be surprised by people, right? Not just by our main character, but by the other people in the story as well. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons that the book's so enjoyable to read because, you know, you have all of these kind of like swirling rumors and thoughts and you're like, what, like, what is Bella doing? Like, what, why is she, why is she behaving this way? And, you know, is Benji, like, who, what's Benji's deal? Why is he this way? And and all of that. And, you know, even like her initial, uh, Hazel's initial hesitation with Nick, I found really compelling. Um, I really liked that she you know the first couple times that she saw him and like other people saw him too he was kind of like not off-putting but they were kind of like <laughs> a little grumpy he's a little a grumpy little grumpy, yeah 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 and I mean I think you know Hazel obviously she has all kinds of things going on in her life but when she comes in you know she's been living this really isolated life for yeah. the year before she comes on the show where she's just working and she's living in this long stay motel and she has like one friend barely and she's you know she's not talking to her parents and 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 then suddenly she's thrown into being with all of these people and I think she finds it a bit overwhelming and 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 she's you know she's hiding something so she's also guarding she's trying to guard herself against her so that was gonna be (laughs) that's my next question because I I love the idea, especially like you don't really find it in romance books, uh, understandably so, but having an unreliable narrator, I almost right. found her to be very unreliable because there's like, you know, she you kind of hear the thing where it's like, you know, someone's like, she doesn't look a day over 20. And she's like, thanks. Um, yeah. And, you know, she's like, <laughs> like lying about all this stuff. But you don't really see yeah. that until the end. Yeah. And I mean, she does. She, but she does like tell you she's a liar, right? Like, you yes. know, she. You know she's lying about her age from the beginning. Right. So she she is upfront about that. But yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. You know what I've always, like, no matter what genre I'm writing in, I just always seem to have a twist in whatever I write. So I think that's just where my mind goes just to keep things interesting, maybe even for me. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah, I mean, honestly, for the writer too, yeah, you got to get through a whole story, especially like, you know, like you mentioned with like the auditions being like the most enjoyable part, you know, when you have to write the middle of the book, which is the hardest part of it to write. I mean, always I always the hardest. I, yeah. No, a hundred percent. Always the hardest part for sure. Yeah. That you have to like keep yourself entertained and that's a wonderful way to do it. Well, I think it's also, you know, I mean, rom-coms, romance, they, you know, they have like all books have a structure to them, but those, these books have like, you know, some strict rules that you need to follow and that right. people expect. And, and you know that going in and that's fine. But I think, to me, like, you play by the rules, but then you can subvert them too, you know? And so it's like, yeah, you know, we can have a, a book that's about a romance but have other things going on in the story as well. You know, that doesn't have to be the only thing that's going on. Because, I mean, particularly nowadays, like, obviously we all want to find somebody, but women have any number of things going on in their lives, right? And, like, right. it's – we're not just, like – and I love Jane Austen, but it's not the 18th century, and we're not – we don't have one job, you know? Right, exactly. Like, that scene in season one of Bridgerton 
like Daphne and Anthony are she he screwed she her brother has screwed up like mm-hmm. her prospects by being overprotective and she's like this is it like this is my right. whole life has been leading to this and you're screwing it up you can do whatever you want but this is the only thing that I have to do and and I think that that can get that is so true for them but I think now that isn't true you know we do like there's so many more things to everyone's life than just who they're going to end up with and so like don't worry there's an HEA obviously mm-hmm. but but I wanted Hazel to get her HEA in lots of ways you know not just romantically absolutely and yeah that's something I love contemporary romance that is like my you know favorite genre of rom- I don't know why I said it like that but yeah it's my favorite <laughs> genre but I I do find that it's hard sometimes because there I feel like it's it's hard to toe the line of having a career and having a life outside of finding that romance right. in these books and I feel like you do such a great job where it's the romance is also tied up in her life like in her financial life in her personal life it's all kind of coming back to the same problems of her not being able to be honest with the people that she cares about or right. honest with herself right and yeah I, I really love that that aspect of this book thank you you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Um, Hazel's a wonderful yeah. character. She's great. Um, I also wanted to ask about, I loved the reveal that Hazel was a child star, but right. um, I wanted to ask about your relationship with that and your research. Like, my, I mean, my main question is, have you read Jeanette McCurdy's book? I haven't read it yet. No, I want to. I know I haven't um, read it yet either. Yeah. No, I mean, so I, I do have a friend who was uh, in Broadway productions as a child and in touring And some of the stories that she's told me are just bananas, you know, like they make the costumes for you at the beginning of the show and like you need to fit into them a year later. So they like were restricting her food and like just bananas, completely bananas. And, you know, we've all heard a million horrible stories. Um, She had a stage mom also. And yeah, so I mean, for sure that informed it. And, And again, I've just... I've seen so many people go through it, you know, and, and um, just observing from the outside. And I think there's so many things that go wrong in that industry and, and why do some people come out unscathed and other people come out like, or don't come out at all or are completely messed up. I'm sure yeah. a lot of it comes back to family, I think. And, you know, one of the themes that gets explored in this book is, is, is how messed up it is if the kid is the breadwinner for the family right yeah that's so messed up the such role reversal just the financial pressure of that and even if the kids want it and I mean even in the Jonas Brothers documentary they talk about that you know because he was on Broadway as a kid and Nick Jonas was on Broadway as a kid you know and 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 I think so much and same thing in the uh, Phoenix Rising the documentary uh, about Oh, what's her name? Ugh, honestly, the names to me today are not coming. <laughs> anyway, I've watched a lot of documentaries about kids, right. who, you know, gone who who start off that way and and the impact that that had on their life and and how it messed up adult relationships and their families and and stuff like that. And so, I just I think it's so interesting. And then also there's the idea of like what happens when you have that spotlight on you and then it goes away. Yeah. You know? Because that can mess you up as well, right? Which is a big conversation with like all types of like young, young, highly successful, highly valuable like careers, especially like sports players. Like once they get an injury and they're out, what happens then? Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. 
And I think um, some of the ones that seem to be uns more unscathed is the people who were given a chance to grow, like they went to college and they were given a chance to grow up and, and, and they look, and if they look different, it actually helps in a weird way, you know, but these people, some people just tend to look young for a very long time and yeah. they, they're not allowed to move on because they still look not that different than they did when they were 14 or 15. And, and so they're sort of typecast in these roles. And so, yeah, you know, I, I wanted to explore that, like, if you can, how to escape that, how, can you really like start over? And it's interesting because I wrote this book before the whole Nepo baby mm -hmm. uh, thing, you know, not like, not that this was new, this has been going on forever, but, oh, 100%. Uh, you know, but, but, and, and Hazel is not a Nepo baby, but mm -hmm. I think she's, because she had a, without, if we've now cut out the spoiler without revealing what her past is, because she had in a way, maybe something that people could have thought of as a leg up, but she didn't use it. And, you know, I think whenever people are successful, you, you always have imposter syndrome in, unless you're a sociopath, 100. you know, right? Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> Uh, why did this happen to me? Mm -hmm. You know, why, why, why did I get this? And, and, and you can be the hardest working person in the room, but you know that there's a million other people who are talented and who worked hard too, and, and just didn't get that opportunity. And so, um, I think, I think she's grappling with all of that. Which is why she's also like, you know, when she asks Nick and she's like, just tell me the truth. And he's like, I knew who you were. And she's like, yeah, oh, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause she, I know, I know. it's so yeah. I know. She like she <laughs> wanted happened. to do this. Yeah, she wanted to say she, she did. did it on her own, and she did, and she did. But it's, yeah, I'm she sure did. it's a hard thing for her to reconcile. Definitely, definitely, and I think, you know, it it, but at the same time, it means that other people were keeping secrets too, right? And so exactly, it does kind of like level the playing field because, I think part of her hesitation with getting involved with Benji or Nick was that, well, at some point they're going to find out who I really am, you know, right. and, and that's the barrier, right. To closeness because it's like, that's a big thing to lie about who you really are, <laughs> you yeah. know? So yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. And yeah. she really isn't like, there are people in her life who are sort of like, Hey, you know, there's, so, there's something happening when this is over, what is your life going to be like? And she just won't let herself go there because yeah. She has no plan B, you know, like she has put everything in the ring for this. And if this doesn't work out, then what's she going to do? You know? Yeah. And that's, I mean, and it's such a microcosm, I feel like of her character too, where she's like, I'm not even going to look at that aspect of my life. Right. And, and in some ways I think that that's a, it's, hard but sometimes that's a good way to go into the entertainment industry right because if you're looking at it like well this is it you'll wear someone down eventually that's kind of my mantra I'm like well casting directors will see me enough that maybe they'll choose me at some point at some point but, yeah 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 I, I mean so. the same thing there's the same thing in the book business I oh, I, yeah, I, I call it it's like it's like going to a casino. It's like, maybe it'll be different next time, you know? Mm -hmm. And you have to buy into that fantasy to keep doing it against, like, like statistics, you know? Yeah. But then there's the flip side of that, too, is, is when do you give up, you know? And I, I see these things play out in book Twitter sometimes where somebody will break through after years and years and years of trying, and 
to be like, see, never give up. And I, I always feel like saying, you know, it's okay to give up too, right? Like if this yes. is like crushing your soul to pursue this without getting it, like I and thought about becoming an actress. Well, yeah, I thought about becoming an actress and, and I laughed to myself because I ended up in the arts any in, you know, anyway, but yeah. I was like, the idea that I could be amazing at something and work that hard at it and still never succeed because I just didn't look exactly like whoever they were looking for, it was just, I was just like, I can't leave my life up to that much chance, you know? I just, I couldn't yeah. do it. So I admire people who, who do it. Yeah, um, that's the same with me. Honestly, I grew up, you know, doing theater. My mom's a ballerina um, who talked to me when I was 10 years old and was like, you don't want to do this. And I was like, what? Yes, I do. And she's like, no, you don't. <laughs> Take it from me. You know, like growing up, you know, going to like, anyway, it was a whole mess for her. And, you know, I, I it, I can't, I couldn't deal with the, that either. I don't like that chance thing. Cause I don't, I can't, in my brain, it's like black and white thinking where I'm like, it, I, I can't deal with the, yeah, that like nebulousness of like, oh, someone at somewhere somewhere just had this yeah. image in their head yeah there's definitely a lack of control obviously it's not it's not the arts are not a meritocracy mm -mm. Uh, and there are other lots of other parts of life that aren't meritocracies either but in a less binary or obvious way you know and I think yeah it's it's so hard it's so hard to know and I think you have to just know yourself I've always found it fascinating. So many celebrities, like super successful people are like, oh no, I don't want my kid in this business. And it's like, really? Because, it, you know, you have a pretty nice life, right? My mom and I were talking about this a few, a couple months ago where we were talking about like, if it's even moral to like allow kids to be in the entertainment industry. Right. And she was also saying, she was like, they're around adults so much more than they should be. Like they are... They're seeing and hearing adult conversations in a way where they're also being treated like an adult and brought into the fold yeah. that their brains aren't ready for yet. And it's no. just, it's so complicated. Well, I should watch the Brooke Shields documentary if you have I, it. Oh my God. I am, I've been meaning to watch it. I just finished listening to the Lolita podcast. I don't know if you've listened okay. to that. It is so good. It's about the book, but also about like, how we've taken the character of Lolita and completely kind of morphed it in the cultural zeitgeist. And it's become this like sexually right. promiscuous teenager and not like a child that was being groomed, you know, abused. Yeah. <laughs> consistently yeah. abused. But they talk about the women who play Lolita in like in the various movie and uh, theater right, right. adaptations. And they talk about Brooke Shields as well. Cause she was so sexualized from such a young age. Yeah. It's, it's so horrifying. interesting. You know, Brooke, Brooke Shields' take on it because, like, that movie, she was 11, you know? Yeah. And uh, she's naked in the film. She's 11 years old. Yeah. What? That's, that's the one where she's the daughter of a sex worker? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, whoa, whoa, and whoa, whoa, her identity is, like, auctioned off in the yes. movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What, are, what, what movie is this? Is it Pretty called? Baby. Pretty Baby, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a Louis Mao film. It's a famous movie. It's an, you know, it's an art house film. And she was 11 years old and yeah, 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 yeah. It's, and, and it's a really interesting part at the end of the second 
uh, the two-part documentary, at the end of the second part, there's a conversation with her and her teenage daughters at dinner, and her daughters are, like, 15 and 13, and they're both horrified. Like, they're like, that's terrible, that's pedophilia, like, you can't, you know, it's very black and white for them, and she's still like, I'm of two minds, you know, it's an art film, (laughs) so, yeah, 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 it's, it's, and she had a stage mom, obviously, you know, you kind of, yeah, she started when she was a baby and stuff, it's crazy, oh, yeah, it's just crazy, and I mean, there's this one, oh, yeah, there's this chilling moment where she's being interviewed, she's like 12, and this old man is interviewing her. And she is, look, she's always been a very striking, and she was a striking child. And yeah, she's beautiful. Beautiful. And, and, but she was 12. And this guy is talking to her and he's like, you are so beautiful. And her face falls oh. in this interview. You just see it. And it's just like, even at 12, she's like, this is all people think I am, you know? Yeah. Um, and she went to Princeton. But, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's pretty nuts. But um, in the in the Lolita podcast, one thing that Jamie, the host, talks about is she um, discusses the women's march and you know plays clips of Natalie Portman's speech that she gave at the women's march, where she's talking about how she felt like she had to like make herself like really guard her sexuality as a child because like her local radio station had a countdown to her 18th birthday. I know. Yeah, like, shit like that, and she's talking. Well, and in the professional is like she is sexualized in that she's movie. She's completely sexualized. But then, I had to turn it off. I hadn't seen it in like forever, and yeah. I was watching it for research for another project, and I was like, "Yep, nope, I'm good. I can't do this." Well, yeah, can't watch. The point that Jamie, the host, was making was that after, like, the day after the women's march, like, you know, websites like Refinery Twenty Nine wrote stories about it and about you know how this great change was coming for you know women's rights and then the right. day after that article they posted an article um speculating on 13 year old millie bobby brown's relationship with jacob sartorius like yeah. the day after amy what is her name natalie portman, natalie natalie portman. Fuller. Yeah. oh my god no i know <sighs> they don't make these connections at all right well and i mean millie bobby brown just got engaged and, and then yeah. that started a whole other firestorm of you know i mean she's 19 he's 20 like, do if that was my kid, would I want them getting married at that age? No, but it's not. It's not an inappropriate relationship, you know. No, like, exactly, and like it's yeah. also very different. Like she is a incredibly financially stable nineteen year old. Like it's right. Like it's. It's. I mean, look statistically, if they get married, it's not going to work out. You know, yeah, I mean, that's them. just yeah. like highly unlikely that that marriage is going to work out. I wish them yeah. all the best. I don't know either of them. You know, our brains are still not fully developed at that age. We're not the mm-hmm. people that, you know, you can be super mature. And I was a super mature kid and I skipped a grade even. And yeah. and I don't think anybody would have thought I was the youngest person in my class. But I actually spent my whole, I skipped kindergarten. So I spent my entire educational experience as the youngest person in my class. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's a weird experience too, right? And, yeah. and uh, like I, you know, uh, I was graduated from high school at 16. So um, oh, wow. But, but despite that, like, I'm, you know, I dated the same person from when I was 16 to when I was 21. I'm mm-hmm. glad I did not marry that guy. He's a great yeah. guy. But, like, yeah. that was not the guy I was supposed to marry, you know? <laughs> like, I think it, really it lends itself. 
to like the ultimate absurdity that is like all types of forms of like artwork that's like viewed by like mass consumers yeah. right i mean even like with taylor swift and joe alwyn like mm-hmm. the entire internet has been losing their shit over the fact oh that, i mean like, this adult woman uh, it's i had crazy. zero investment in that relationship honestly mm-hmm. like i am a swifty until i die like no, but, and i like taylor swift too but i guess i and and to me credit to her i was more invested in her and tom hiddleston being together because i actually saw yes. that play out in front of me exactly whereas they were so protective of this relationship that i wasn't invested in it like yeah. i'm devastated about jp Sachs and, and julia michaels breaking up <laughs> and all their like they are like talking to each other through their breakup songs and it's oh, like Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, but it's crazy <laughs> like the amount of speculation or even just like the speculation on Taylor's sexuality. Like there is all of this stuff that we as consumers feel entitled to. Well, I mean, the extreme example of that and like any any far edge of any fandom people get completely insane. Oh yeah, I'm and here. and every once in a while I would somehow like I'd be on Twitter and I'd be like why is Olivia Wilde trending? And then I'd yeah. end up in the weird Harry Styles fandom where they're like obsessed Dude. that he's supposed to be with Louis Tomlinson. And it's yes. like, like, are these two even friends anymore? Like, do they hang out? You know, I don't think they talk. It's and, and like, crazy. It's, it's complete lunacy. It's, it's literally lunacy. And, 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 uh, you know, like I, I also like, I'm in a, you know, observe a certain corner of the Bridgerton fandom from afar mm-hmm. and they're lunatics too it's like guys it's a tv show and you don't have to watch it if you don't like it you know the parasocial. <laughs> it's just a weird parasocial thing that happens to people at a certain level of fame yeah. and you know a point that they that Brooke Shields or that they make in that Brooke Shields documentary is is for sure in the 80s there weren't that many celebrities you know and so you yeah. were that much more famous when you were famous back then. And and now we have a few people that transcend like that and I'd put Taylor in that category. Absolutely. But we have so many kind of micro celebrities. Like I could look at the cover of people.com right now and not know half the people that they're talking about. Like I have never seen an episode of Vanderpump Rules, you know? Right. So there's a whole scandal, people cheated. I don't know who you are, you know? Like, exactly. like I, I, I kind of don't, I, not kind of, I definitely don't care. I don't care about the Kardashians, you know? Yeah. Though, uh, unfortunately, I know who they are. But but, but it's just weird. It, and, and But there's also, and I, I, t- I do touch on this on the book, to circle it back, the, the, you know, what really does happen to you when you start off your career is it's like, here, like, write down every bad thing that happened to you in your life. Yeah. And we're going to dole those stories out every time you have a movie to promote. So it's like, oh, this movie. What are the themes in this movie? Oh, were you bulimic? Okay, I guess... Now you get to tell the world you're a bulimic, you know, and exactly. it's and you and you see it sometimes where you're like, why am I hearing? And people just buy it, like they don't ask the question of like, why am I hearing this actor tell me now about something that happened in their life like 25 years ago? And sometimes it's because they're just processing it now, like obviously with Me yeah. Too stories and stuff like that. But so often that's not it at all, you know. And it it's so like it's kind of gross, like that what we require yeah. of people to 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 give up, I mean, it's it's one thing, sure, most songs are autobiographical or often are, but like for actors to have to like give up part of their, to promote things. Um, yeah. and, and you know, it happens, in, it happens in the book world too. Like people just assume that you're your main character of the book, you know? Though I guess nobody thinks I've been on a reality singing competition, but 
<laughs> you know, but, 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 but for sure that, that stuff, people make those connections and, and, and sometimes require those connections. It's which, that like commodification of trauma that like yes, people yes, like, like so lap insane. up. It's why like, you know, it's, I mean, American Idol, I remember it being on every reality TV competition, whether it was like singing or like an MTV right. show, you know, it's like someone, it's that vulnerable moment and they break down crying and it's because they've, they grew up eating like Campbell's soup in a studio apartment with their mom and dad. And this is so important to them. And you have these moments yeah. that are like, actually like these, these true like moments that, that are worthy of being shared because like, you know, it, it gives you this larger thing, but it's become so wrapped up in like this, like Olympic competition. Yeah. yeah well, it's like, like this. Yes. It's this, it's the storytelling of the show. And I, I, you know, it's, it's there in the first chapter. It's like, well, if Hazel was one of the special contestants, they cute cut to the, the montage about her hard scrabble beginnings or whatever. Exactly. Right. But like no special montage for Hazel. And it's one thing when they do that in the Olympics for real, because the right. Olympics, those are objective measures, right. Except for in figure skating, it's objective. <laughs> like you swam the fastest or you ran yeah. the fastest or you jumped the furthest or whatever. But in, in, in these shows, it's like, do you win because you have the saddest story? Like, what is the biggest that, pop story? Know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, which I mean also How lends itself to the whole like underdog conversation as well. A hundred percent. But you know, I, maybe it's just like my suspicious mind. But how often are these stories actually garbage? Like, yeah, what like what kind of vetting happens? You know, yeah, like exactly. I show you this shack and I'm like, that's where I grew up. Like, do they know if that's where I grew up? I don't know. Maybe I'm giving people ideas now. <laughs> I know. Actually, it's not a <laughs> bad a idea, right? Now. Yeah. I'm going to lie about my age. Yeah. Take some singing lessons. It's crazy. Well, yeah. And I also thought that people lying about their age, like, I thought it was kind of like an old wives tale or like something that people would just say about Hollywood. Oh and my God, that's totally true. It's totally true. <laughs> oh yeah. You're like that's crazy. And you have to start doing it at the beginning because like it becomes too late to do it later, right? So you have but to do yeah. it when your IMDB page gets set up basically. Exactly. Yes. Well, people, yeah, I mean, and I'm kind of going, working in the opposite direction because people keep reading me as much younger than I actually am, which is good. But like a year ago, my manager pitched me for a character who was 23 and, you know, she sent, like, my information to this casting director, and he was like, no. She was like, why not? And he was like, well, she's not 23. And Ricky was like, no, she is 23. It's crazy. So I mean, it also is, like, like no. it's this whole thing about, like, being a woman in Hollywood, too, and that, like, you know, if you're not swept up and, you know, put in a film when you're 18, 19, 20, 17, 18, 19, 20, it becomes yeah. a lot harder as a woman to be able to like right. make it in Hollywood, like you have the right, flow right. cues. Scarlett Johansson right, yeah. was in Islands with Ewan McGregor when she was 17 years old. Keira Knightley was in Pirates of the Caribbean when she was 17 years old. So it's like, I'm sure there's yeah. fucking lying everywhere. Cause like, if I was trying to get into Hollywood and I'm 28 years old right now, hell yeah, I'd be lying about my age. Cause I'd be like, people would think I was a, I was too old yeah. at this point. There's, there's that, um, there's an SNL sketch that Amy Schumer did, which was like her last fuckable day in the industry. It's the day before she turns 40. 25? Oh, 40. Okay. Yeah. That's funny. I mean, that's the yeah, whole like... Well, 
Yeah. I mean, I have friends who, who have that just like in dating, you know, people set oh. age limits on apps. Right. And so I have a friend who's 45, mm-hmm. who's pretending to be 35 on apps. Because otherwise, like just to date a guy who's the same age as her, she has to lie right. about her age by 10 years oh just to even meet a guy who's the same age as her because those guys have all set 40 or sometimes 35 is the age limit, you know, which is, that is so crazy. And then I'm like, but if you meet someone you really like, like, when do you tell him how old you are? Exactly. Because now you have lied about your age in a significant way. And also like 10 years, a big thing to cover up, you know, like you're, you're going to be off. Like, when you yeah. went to school, like, there's a lot of lies you need to tell to keep that up, you know? Like, when you got, because she was married before, like, so. Oh, yeah, like, oh when, exactly. Yeah, like, what, if, the minute you, somebody, somebody starts to dig, they're going to figure it out, you know? So, anyway, whatever. No, it's, <laughs> no, I mean, like, and this is, like, the whole and thing. And I don't blame like, her. I, no, I, I do the same say, thing. It's like, it's like the, yeah. this pressure that's, and that's why, like, you know, with Hazel, when, like, you're, like, good yeah. for you for lying about your age. Also, it's because, like, you know, like Piper said, like, Piper looks younger than she is. I even, you know, get comments on, you know, people thinking that I'm younger than I am. And, I've like... always looked younger my whole life, so... Right? Yeah. So, it's, like, that type of thing. And you're, like, if I if I need to use this, of course I'm going to. In, like, our arsenal of being a woman, like, we start off as such a deficit that, like, hell yeah, lie about your age if you got to. Because if you're going to date a 45-year-old man who cares that you're 45, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to oh, hear I it. Agree. And, and yeah. the problem with being younger, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a weird thing to complain about in some ways, but, like, people just don't take you seriously. Completely. Um, people, you know, I people have to tell people. I'm practicing law. I'm a partner in a law firm. And people are like, Huh? Are you sure? Yeah. yeah, I have to like, yeah. I basically like, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm nearly 30 years old. You cannot speak to me that way. Like, I know yeah. I, I am short in stature, but like, I, I, this is absolutely not I a conversation to be had. Yeah, literally, <laughs> you know, and I, and uh, I lived in DC for eight years and you, know, I was young when I was living in DC and I was like, you know, working in these like bigger fields when I was really young, but that was like also a thing where it's like, you know, you, you at one point, like. It's like the last fuckable day. Yeah. At some point you're not taken seriously and then you're too old to be taken seriously. And so, you know, you're kind of like brushed off. Except you're in the Senate where apparently you can stay till you die, you know? I guess, right? And you're there till you die. I mean, we, there needs to be, like not to make a political conversation, but I feel like both sides of the aisle should be able to agree on term limits and age limits. Like at some point you gotta go, you know? Yeah. I mean, like, Diane Feinstein. I know. But there's, by the way, there's a lot of 80-year-olds in that Senate. And there's some other 90-year-olds, too. She is not the oldest person there. No, she's not. I mean, even Nancy Pelosi, I'm like, miss, miss, ma'am. We got to go. She she did step aside. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, She's a great, her documentary's great. And, you know, I would say, yeah, it's really good. I, I would say in her defense, she really got started much later in life, right? Like, I think she mm-hmm. ran for office for the first time in her 50s. And it, yeah, um, she did. Wow. She was, yeah, she was raising her kids. She had, like, five kids in six years. And, uh, you know, so, and, and at least she was still sharp. But at the same time, like, most people at 81 are not as sharp as yeah. Nancy Pelosi was, you know? So 
I, I don't know. It, it's weird. In Canada, we have age, we have term limits for judges in Canada. 75, you're out. I mean, there's that's no just... There's no it's lifetime reasonable. appointment. You have to retire at 75, which is yeah. completely reasonable. And, like, and if you still want to work, you can go make a bunch of money in a law firm. You know? Exactly. And I, I guess, like, the, the lack of term limits made sense when the life expectancy was 40. Sure. But like, or even 60, but, yeah. Now we're living too long, and it's ridiculous. Well, the, when it really struck me was in, in Trump's first impeachment, they were showing all this footage from the last impeachment of Clinton. And I was like, wait, yeah. this is all the same people. I was going to say, it's all the same people. It's all the same people. I'm like, oh, my God, what are they all still doing here? That was 30 years ago. Like, it was a terrifying moment. I really was terrified. Anyway. Well, it's also, yeah. you know, it's just like, it's, it, uh, I, I mean, I, I have so many thoughts because I feel like it also, you know, factors into like, I mean, it's a whole, I mean, not to even like get into like a climate conversation, but like, you know, even the fact like you guys are going to like all these people who were here 30 years ago who are still here now right. you're all going to be dead by the time we're fighting over fucking water so right. like you like right. the, the relevance is done we are not in the 80s anymore we're not in the 90s we have entered a new phase of like right. the world where like things are going to be a lot more dire we need young people with new thoughts but that's america in a nutshell right is like traditionalism and like the inability to like progress mm -hmm. um or something like that i don't know <laughs> well i mean i think the system was set up is to slow to be slow to be slow and, really and so really it's slow. not a good system to deal with emergencies yeah there's a lot Absolutely. of problems with the political system we're not yeah gonna and i mean <laughs> not on this this no. podcast fixes it this podcast is not going to solve those problems you can have another podcast that's called we're here to solve your problems but this one <laughs> no. Lace and debauchery. Yes. Lace and debauchery solved the problem. They had a Canadian on and she solved the problem. And she solved we it. Fixed you know what? It. I, I half expect a Canadian to solve our problems. So if it's you, I'm happy with it. We should <laughs> I'll be your press secretary. Yeah, we have Seriously. thoughts. We have thoughts. But yeah, not that we don't the, have our own problems, but yeah. I'm watching the West Wing for the first time. Oh, um, right so now good. with my boyfriend and it's like like I feel like you wish that our political system was like West Wing when in reality it's more like Veep. Yeah, but you know what? But I mean, to, to me ha having watched it when it was on originally and like two things it, like because now you're a bit tainted by everything that's happened say in the last yeah. seven or eight years, right? But what I remember watching it before all of that, not that there weren't other issues in politics, but and actually being depressed by the level of compromise that it was depicting yeah. you know, to get anything done. Because on Absolutely. TV, it was like, I want the big sweeping speech, and then that's actually going to win the day. And then on that show, it often doesn't. And It doesn't, yeah. So to me, there's that. And then I think just how prescient it was. Like, yeah, I don't know how far you are into the show, but in the, the last couple of years, there's a political campaign that just, like, eerily predicts. Everything um, that, yeah, stuff that was second, to come. We just second started season. The second okay, season. well, you have a ways to go. Oh, yeah, you have a long time. Oh, yeah, we've got. Yeah, I mean, like, Pablo's gonna go, and then he's gonna come back, and like, it's I'm the whole so thing. Good for him. <laughs> well, what's crazy is Mandy's character just disappears. She just, like, yeah, yeah, she does. 
Yes. She's in the, the season one finale and then gone. Yes. And, and then, then she, I think they maybe mentioned it. her once or something, but yeah. It's yeah. crazy. It also is like yeah. a very, uh, it's a very like innocent view, I think, of American politics too. And it's like very utopian American politics. Right. Where yeah. I also feel like, you know, something, and I like obviously like, I might even cut this out because I don't, I think it's a pretty uncouth thing to say at this point, but like House of Cards even is like, you know, I think now like more of like, like the the type of um like viciousness that exists and like yeah no sure I don't think I think that's accurate despite you yeah. starring in that show but well, you know I mean for sure but I mean you know somewhere in between like the scandal of it all where like I had to yeah. stop watching it because I'm like okay literally everyone has committed a murder including yeah the <laughs> no yeah, like exactly. it, like I'm I'm out like when the president murdered someone I was I was like I'm in front of a bus. I, I, I'm bouncing now. This is too much, you know. <laughs> but <laughs> but but someone between that and and like you know American President, which um, Sorkin wrote mm-hmm. before The West Wing, right? And and is even more like starry-eyed about politics. Somewhere in between those two things lies reality, you know. And I think unfortunately everything that happened under Trump so skewed and is still skewing politics today. A hundred percent. Like. You know, we used to have like with the bar for normal, like normalcy is so screwed up. And like we used to be able to have debates about things. And now it's like, you know, it's identity. It's all like, well, I mean, it's so many different things. But like you literally have people in the same place. You have people who believe that like 5G is, you know, infecting your brain and and that like Trump was sent by Jesus, you know, next to somebody who's like a serious person. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah, and, it's and absurd. Like, honestly, what I I followed American politics, but not as closely as I have for the last six, seven, eight years. And mm-hmm. I was like, can just anybody get into Congress? Like, that's what Apparently. it feels like. No, yeah, in some of these, is... especially in some of these smaller races that where there's less attention paid to them. Yeah, you know. And then you can see it now with the stuff from Tennessee, where it's like, oh, now you've got a media, sp- a national media spotlight on you. Mm-mm. Hope your house is in order, buddy. I know. I was literally going to say it's same thing with Trump, where it was like, if you were just a businessman and you broke all these rules and did all these crimes yeah. and you, you weren't fucking, I, I don't know the word, like narcissistic enough to like try and become president, you'd be, right. scot- you'd be out scotch free. And now you're looking at, you're looking down the fucking barrel at 34 felony charges. Yeah. At least. Hopefully the first of of many. But, I mean, that was predictable to me because every one of his businesses ended up in lawsuits and almost criminal charges. So this was just another business to him, and that was predictable. I mean, I think Trump is a different phenomenon where a bunch of people clear-eyed looked away just because they wanted to get what they wanted to get and and really used gullible people in, Mm. in a really, really venal and disgusting way. But if you take like that level away, like there's just, I mean, it's this kind of nuts. It's just kind of nuts what's going on in some places, like it's defunding crazy. libraries, and it's just crazy. I mean, my my family lives in Florida. Like my younger oh sister is like twenty; she's twenty three years old, and she lives in Florida. And like every day, I text her. I'm like, permitless gun carrying, no abortions. Library yeah. p- librarians are getting arrested. Like teachers are getting arrested. It's like, so it's... crazy. Well, even in the in the season finale of the first season of West Wing, 
the the whole thing is that like the the white supremacists try to kill Charlie and my right. boyfriend turned and looked at me and was like isn't it crazy that there was a time when we could all agree that white supremacists were the bad guys and I was like yeah when you phrase it like that <laughs> yeah just because I know that we're we're at the hour mark uh to circle it back uh your next book is coming out next year can you tell us a little next bit year. about that yeah it's called Chloe Baker's Lost State love <laughs> can we have a premise yeah yeah um, so a woman gets set up on a blind date by her best friend and he's very late for their date and she thinks she's been set up and eventually he shows and they spend the day together and it's kind of magical and then he disappears and uh-huh. so she tries to find him. Maybe she does. Oh, I love it. I'm obsessed. Oh my God. <laughs> And uh, you can read it on Wattpad. It's all up on Wattpad, or the first draft anyway oh, is all up on Wattpad right now. If you if you want to read, if you li- if people like reading drafts, um, that's so yeah. fun. And it's coming out next April. Nice. Okay. That's perfect. so exciting. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was so fun. Yeah, it was a great Super conversation. Fun. Yeah, it was wonderful. Uh, thank you for the book because it was a blast. Piper and I were texting each other so about fun. it as we were reading. Awesome. Yeah. It was lovely. Well, thank you. For yeah. Yeah. All congratulations. Right, so I can't wait for May 2nd. Yes. Yay. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Lace and Debauchery is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts.